This is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Giacomo Zuko, and we're talking about RGB and client-side validation. So I recorded an episode with Giacomo in 2019. We did this live at the Lightning Conference in Berlin in the Descent truck outside of the conference with a lot of loud music playing. So obviously it was some of the worst audio I ever recorded for the podcast. And I definitely believe that Giacomo and RGB deserved a little bit more attention and a little bit more clarity in order to ensure you didn't have to endure terrible audio to get there. Most of this episode talks about RGB and how it might be used on top of the Lightning Network and various other topics, including Omnibolt and how it might compare to RGB. Just a quick reminder that you can support the podcast on Breeze by searching Lightning Junkies. You can also support us by going to lightningjunkies.net forward slash support, as well as store.lightningjunkies.net, where you can pick up merch. We believe that this is a value for value transaction, just like Adam Curry has laid out most recently. All that sounds good to me, so let's go ahead and jump into this episode. like to go ahead and welcome Giacomo to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today, Giacomo? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. As people that listen to the podcast might know, uh, the last time we had you on was a kind of experimental podcast where I try to record live at the Lightning Conference in Berlin in 2019, I believe. And that was okay, but it just created very bad audio. And I, I was very much interested in getting, you know, RGB and, you know, the other stuff that you're working on more out there and more well known. So I thought it, it was worth the time to bring you back on. Yeah, this is very bad news for me because uh, with bad audio, I have a great uh, plausible deniability if I say something stupid about technology. So I can make promises, I can, uh, I can create expectation and nobody can keep me accountable because audio was bad. So maybe I was uh, just uh, misunderstood. This time I'll, I will have to be more cautious. Yes, we'll definitely hold your feet to the fire here. And uh, <laughs> if you talk too much shit, we'll uh, call you on it. But I don't anticipate that, to be honest. I think, honestly, you're one of the more intellectually honest people on Twitter and elsewhere, possibly. Like, I think you and I disagree on a great many topics that I'm not going to mention here because that's not really the venue for it. Um, But I definitely find you to be very honest in what you do and do not know and what you'll claim. So you're pretty high in my books in that regard. Thanks. I appreciate it. Let's go ahead and jump into RGB. My understanding of RGB essentially is it's like a layer three that could live, um, or I guess technically a layer two possibly, that could live directly on Bitcoin or could live on top of Lightning. Is that right? It is right. In a way, in, at least in my initial conception, then during the conversation, we, we will basically decouple a little bit the initial design 
from what we have now and what we can have in practice in reasonable time. So there is implementation and there is theory. In theory, my idea was that even the, the, the part of RGB that doesn't use Lightning Network channels in order to transmit off-chain some kind of asset, would use anyway Lightning Network as an infrastructure to move stuff around. What I mean is this, uh, the main concept of RGB is uh, the idea of Peter Todd, uh, which is client-side validation. So the idea of Peter Todd is that uh, it's, uh, it's silly, it's wasteful, it's, uh, it's not optimal, that the miners in global consensus will understand and, uh, and parse and, uh, and validate the syntax of the transactions themselves. Uh, the miners should just do proof of publication, which is ensure that you cannot double spend the same UTXO, and the and the validity of the of the spend itself should just travel with the people passing uh, passing down the road, uh, the, the chain of the validities of the previous transaction. So this idea by Peter is an idea that has some obvious advantages. The advantages are a little bit of scalability because uh, basically burning one single UTXO, you can uh, prove the uh, non-double-spended transaction of uh, hundreds or thousands of different assets uh, from different people. So there is this kind of uh, scalability that Peter calls uh, proof marshal. And there's also a great privacy advantage because, of course, if you think about uh, uh, about uh, this kind of model, the only guy that knows about the history of the asset is the guy receiving the asset. Everybody around would not know about uh, any of the previous steps of the asset transfer. And if you do some kind of cryptographic magic, you can also obfuscate the past pretty well. So these are, these are the obvious advantages of, uh, of client-side validation design, but there are some disadvantages. And these are basically that the receiver, unlike in la- ba- uh, base layer Bitcoin, must always be online or somebody else must be online for them because they have to receive off-chain all the proof of validity of the asset transfer, all the chain of uh, past transfers since the issuance. So there is this necessity to be online. And then there is a necessity to store the data, the off-chain data, because with your seed alone that, that is moving the UTXOs, you cannot recover the, the asset. You need all, to store everything. And if you lose it, if you lose this uh, uh, off-chain data, you lose the asset. So these are pretty bad trade-offs to have in a system. So Peter's idea back in 2016, 2015 was considered impractical. But then the reason that uh, I was excited about RGB in connection to Lightning is that Lightning Network, for other reasons, has exactly or not exactly, but kind of the same same trade-offs. So in order to receive a Lightning transaction, you need to be online or you need somebody online for you. Uh, like a, th- a partially trusted third party, a watchtower or something. And then in order to, uh, to, to keep your funds, you need to back up separately from your seed. You need to back up all the channel states uh, separately. So uh, my idea was, let's take the old idea uh, for, uh, by Peter and let's merge it with Lightning and let's reuse everything Lightning does for uh, uh, in order to be online and receive stuff and in order to back up stuff. So my idea was let's use Lightning as infrastructure to send off-chain proofs as a payload, a little bit like, you know, the projects that are using Lightning as messaging system, like uh, WhatsApp 
or um, or a Sphinx chat and stuff like that. So use the same idea, but instead of passing over messages like in chats, you pass over the off-chain proofs that uh, that the client-side validation model used. So all this big introduction just to say that even if you don't use a payment channel with RGB assets locked in a channel, uh, you still use, at least in my idea, uh, Lightning Network as the base for RGB because Lightning Network be, will be used to, to to transmit around and and the same kind of stuff that people will use to back up Lightning Network channels will also be used to back up RGB assets. So that was the theory. As we will see in practice, things turned out to be a little bit more complicated. Before we jump into that, I think I want to explore some of the philosophy of why you might do an RGB or something similar to this. Uh, years back, I'm sure you're familiar with the idea that eventually Bitcoin's going to absorb all technology into it into, in some sense. So Ethereum has you know, the EVM and smart contracts and the way that they do it. Is the general idea of RGB to kind of create Ethereum on top of Bitcoin in a certain sense? You know, not to go the rootstock path, but maybe take a different path. Is that maybe kind of where that uh, the general idea came from, aside from the technology aspect? It didn't start like that. It just started for uh, two competing reasons. One reason was us, uh, was basically clients asking me what kind of good standard could be used to do uh, per- permissionless asset issuance and transfer uh, or kind of permissionless uh, in a Bitcoin compatible and Bitcoin inspired way. Uh, so I didn't have a good answer to this because all the previous standards like uh, Omni, we will talk about Omni and possibly Omnibolt, we will talk about uh, uh, counterparty, colored coins, and then shitcoin chains like uh, uh, ERC20, etc. Uh, all these alternatives seemed very bad to me and also to the smart people I was uh, I was asking uh, about this uh, client job. So all the, the de facto standards in this very, very niche market were pretty bad. And I didn't have a good standard alternative to propose. And then there was this idea by Peter Todd, the, uh, the client-side validation model, that in my mind uh, was fitting perfectly with Lightning Network, was basically uh, merging with Lightning Network in a very good way. And, uh, and so I had this desire to, to do an experiment on this design, regardless of the use cases. So there were a few use cases that were basically just assets, so normal assets. Even in Ethereum, you hear a lot of talk about uh, smart contracts, but 99 point something percent of smart contracts just do one thing. They issue some kind of asset they, uh, which can be sent without double spending because that's what the Ethereum blockchain does. And, uh, and that's basically all. Uh, there are a few... Uh, more advanced contracts that may be used to swap stuff like in the new DeFi uh, craze, the DeFi hype, there may be some atomic swap. There may be some Oracle doing something like in, in MakerDAO, etc. But but these are really exceptions. Most uh, so-called contracts just do issuance and transfer of, of one asset. So it was focusing on that. But since the design that we came up with uh, was also in theory possible to use for a for a basically for a state machine a generic state machine that could also do more stuff most of the other engineers working on rgb and especially maxim orlowski that was with me at the lightning conference when we met 
talking about this. Uh, and he, he was presenting with me and he and, and other people working on the project were especially fascinated and, uh, and captured by these, uh, these possibilities. So there, there have been a lot of efforts to generalize the, the simple asset-based idea into something which is more smart contract-ish. I mean, I, I'm still skeptical about the real-world use case for this kind of uh, complicated uh, uh, variances. In my opinion, the best way still now to do smart contracts is just to have an oracle and then some kind of multi-sig where the oracle can set the threshold and the oracle can use uh, HSMs or, or complex cryptography or uh, in order to blind stuff or other kind of trust models in order to be difficult to shut down or difficult to uh, or to make uh, access camps difficult and stuff like that but the idea to decentralize entire uh, state evolutions is is possible and uh, and it's challenging for developers to try to actually do that do what ethereum claims to do for real this time uh, but personally i'm still super skeptical about uh, real world use cases so for me, it will be enough to just see a couple of uh, reasonable enough use cases that are basically Tether, which for me is a great way to buy Bitcoin, avoiding KYC and AML. It's the only reason I, I, I like uh, the existence of Tether, which is a provisional tool, of course. It cannot last forever for the same reason that eGold didn't last forever. It's centralized, so eventually it, it can be stopped. But it's a good tool to go around some kind of limitation in liquidity between fiat and Bitcoin. And the second use case that when I was t- talking about that in the Lightning Conference or even before in uh, building on Bitcoin uh, Lisbon, uh, the second use case is digital collectibles. And back then, it was not a huge hype like uh, NFTs, everybody talking about NFTs. Back then, it was just rare papers basically but i think this is a reasonable enough niche not very important use case it's uh, it's irrelevant if you compare it with bitcoin bitcoin is something serious something world changing digital collectibles can be legit uh, they can be okay they can be mm, not bad if uh, if realized and these two use cases would be enough for me uh, in order to prove the concept and the concept itself can be great if eventually applied to Bitcoin itself, I, we don't know how. In order to use this kind of design for Bitcoin, you will need the same kind of sidechain comp, uh, concept of two-way peg. So if you can issue an RGB asset, which, which corresponds to a Bitcoin, which is easy, you just do it like a proof of burn, uh, and you can also destroy this RGB asset, unlocking an on-chain Bitcoin, which is very hard and I have not, the slightest idea how to do that without uh, trust, without federations, then you can use the client-side validation model on Bitcoin itself. And that will be indeed very, very good for me uh, from the experimentation point of view. It will merge fine. It will interact and merge with many other kind of ideas like uh, like all the ideas that uh, Rubens uh, Somson uh, is uh, talking about, you know, space chains and soft chains and state chains and all that stuff. Just to kind of ask about that last point really fast, would that imply that RGB would either work better with any prev out um, slash L2, because any prev out would get us L2? Would RGB work better with that, essentially? Not itself, but a specific, um, uh, we could come closer to a specific uh, RGB use case, 
because people often tell me about RGB, this is a cool way to create assets, but we don't need assets. We already have Satoshis and that's enough. And I kind of agree, uh, again, with the exception of rare papers and crypto kitties, they're legit, even if not very useful, but they may be late. They may be legit. But the, the point is that you already have Satoshis. But the answer, the, the, the real long-term cool answer to that will be, yes, but I can use RGB as a way to represent Satoshis off-chain in a client-side validation model, uh, which is even in a way more powerful than Lightning itself and, and also in another way compatible with, uh, with Lightning itself. So, um, in a, so this is the idea. And uh, having this kind of changes will probably make... Uh, this kind of end result closer, uh, but not there yet. Even even if you have uh, uh, this these various modifications, which are basically reedition of uh, no input idea for L two, you can create better stuff like state chains, but it's still not trustless two way pegging. So it's still not really moving uh, Bitcoin out and and then Bitcoin in. Uh, in a way which is fully decentralized and uh, trustless. That really doesn't exist yet. So that will help, but it's still something um, purely speculative. I did hear something that I, what you said there that I found kind of interesting. Over the time that I've had the podcast, something I've heard come up multiple times is the idea that um, cheap fees on top of Lightning Network aren't going to last for forever because, you know, fees on Bitcoin itself will raise and um, Lightning Network fees kind of lag behind that but are kind of connected or correlated. Do you see like RGB being able to be a layer three eventually that most people will actually transact on and layer one and layer two will just be these more expensive layers that most people will not touch? Or am I going too far with that? Uh, I think you may be going too far since uh, even if uh, Lightning Network fees become high, which is entirely possible, they will not become high in the very same way of on-chain base layer fees, meaning that they are based on very different kind of scarce resources. Right now, Lightning fees are, uh, are not really optimized for resources that the, that the routers are expending because it's still super young and nobody's actually paying huge fees, so nobody cares. This is similar to the situation for on-chain fees in uh, maybe in 2011 and 2012, the beginning of 2012. Miners didn't really optimize for uh, dimension or uh, or SIGOP uh, cycles or, or whatever, because they didn't care that there was like, uh, there was lots of, uh, uh, lots of uh, supply of uh, block space and very little demand, so nobody cared. But then they started to optimize, and now when a miners uh, when a miner decides to take or not take your transaction, they will auto- automatically uh, optimize for uh, for space consumed by your transaction, but also for uh, uh, validation. Uh, CPU power basically consumed by your uh, transaction, and they will they will make their trade offs and they will uh, decide. Uh, the, in the same way, right now, if you route on Lightning, uh, the router will probably just ask you some kind of uh, uh, fixed fee. Uh, maybe some smart router will ask you one fixed fee and one fee that will be proportional to the amount, but that will be basically all. But in the future. 
the more this kind of activity will become uh, expensive for for transactors and remunerative for routers and and competitive um, among routers. Uh, the more routers will tend to optimize, and this I think will will uh, end up in a fee situation which will be di- very different, r- radically different, and even complementary to uh, on chain. What I mean is that on chain, basically, uh, you have fixed costs; you don't pay for liquidity. So uh, on chain will always be great for huge payments because you don't pay for liquidity. You just pay for space uh, consumed on the block to describe your transaction, but not uh, in. You don't pay more to send more money. You can send two billion dollars, and you can, uh, in theory, and you can say uh, just con- well, let's say two millions for now, and you can consume fairly little block space with this. On the other hand, on Lightning, uh, the, the, the real cost that the router is, uh, is uh, bearing is a cost of liquidity, uh, of uh, liquidity getting his channels uh, out of balance. So uh, it's reasonable to think that uh, uh, small payments will always be fairly cheap on Lightning because you are not moving much liquidity, so the router will not sacrifice much in order to let you route. But if you if you move a, a huge amount of bitcoins uh, of of satoshis, then the router will have to uh, to move a lot of liquidity, and they will have to go out of balance, and then they will have to rebalance with some kind of strategy like uh, uh, like competing transaction in the in the other direction or. Uh, or submarine swaps, uh, loops, uh, and and whatever. So they will need to do something in order to rebalance. If if uh, if you keep moving huge amounts in the same direction, routers will just be depleted of their uh, balance situation. So it will be probably realistic to expect in the future routers that will let you pay not just based on the amount of liquidity that you are that you are asking for. But also based on the direction and uh, based on the fact that the direction is going to rebalance them. So if you if you are going to rebalance, you will pay less or even zero, or even in some kind of science fiction scenarios, even negative. You could be paid to write through me because you are rebalancing me. This is very difficult to do because it this this messes up the pathfinding the the path discovery algorithm uh, because they are usually they have positive weights not negative weights but anyway in theory i could give you uh, negative fees if you route through me rebalancing me and i will ask you positive fees if you if you uh, route through me Mm, uh, uh, pushing me out of balance and the more you push me out of balance close to the limit of the channel the more i will exponentially basically ask you to pay so uh, if if i'm correct about this and i think i am i imagine two fee distributions that will be completely different in uh, in layer one they will be basically uh, a, a lot of people sending huge transactions in terms of uh, liquidity in terms of money uh, but with uh, small block space footprint and in the in lightning network you will see small uh, liquidity uh, transaction moving low liquidity because if you go on high liquidity you will basically uh, have to pay more and if these two kind of fee markets uh, manage to keep some kind of overlap you don't need much alternatives you can use alternatives like uh, rgb and, and whatever but you don't need many alternatives because if your payment is big 
then you have no cost in going on chain because if your payment is big compared to the typical on chain fee, then it really doesn't matter if, if you are spending $50 on chain if you're sending to millions. Uh, but if your payment is uh, big, uh, again, it, you cannot use Lightning because uh, the Lightning fees will be really, really high. But if your payment is very, very small, then there is no possibility to go on chain because your on chain fees will be higher than your payment. But there is, and there will always be a, the possibility to go on Lightning because the liquidity that, that you will ask for will be by definition small because your payment is small. Basically, the only thing that we want is an overlap between this fee distribution in which, uh, uh, l- l- let, me, let me imagine, we end up in a future where on-chain fees are $100 and, uh, and, and basically where the typical uh, affordable Lightning Network transactions are, uh, can go as high as, uh, um, let's say, $1,000. If that's the situation, then every time you pay $1,000 or more, you will just go on chain and you will pay 1% and you will be, uh, or actually that would be 10% exaggerated. Uh, let's say $10,000 on Lightning. Uh, you pay 1% and you are kind of happy. And if you, if you pay less than $10,000, then you can go reasonably on uh, Lightning without paying too much. All that said, of course, uh, uh, orthogonal strategies to increment uh, uh, scalability can make this situation even better, but not just RGB, for example. If we have like uh, um, L2, we can have multi-party channels. A multi-party channel can just uh, take down the, the costs to open and close the channel on chain. We can have uh, channel factories. Uh, if we have a cross-input signature aggregation, we can basically incentivize people to uh, co-join and create uh, channels together, multi-party channels together. So it's, there is a lot of stuff that can happen. One of the things that could happen is uh, client-side validation idea uh, increasing a little bit the scalability because right now you can you can basically use one uh, Bitcoin uh, UTXO spending, one Bitcoin uh, transaction to send not one uh, RGB transaction, but to send in theory hundreds of different assets uh, to different to to thousands of different people. So the the amount of stuff that you can move on RGB, even without creating RGB channels, is 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 potentially very very high. Of course, there is a lot of complication in, in reality. I want to take a step back and kind of go over um, some of the alternatives that could live on top of Bitcoin to roughly accomplish. The same thing. Um, we did go over counterparty on our previous conversation, but let's just kind of briefly go over that. In 2014, 2015, roughly, there was counterparty, which all, all allowed you to have you know various assets that would you know kind of live in on top of Bitcoin. I think they used the op return to deploy their payload um, on the blockchain, et cetera, et cetera. It had a lot of downsides. It was really slow. You had to wait 10 minutes before you even saw your transaction. Um, and you know that's when, when blocks were never full. How would you compare RGB to counterparty in that sense? Obviously not on Lightning. Yeah. So basically the main difference is there, I would say it was even three main difference. The first is scalability. As you said, when you use counterparty, you have to uh, write 
uh, inside Bitcoin transaction in the global consensus. So there are Bitcoin transactions are thing on chain Bitcoin transactions are things that are validated and stored and downloaded by everybody forever. So they are parts of global consensus. Everybody in 2070 will have to download and validate and possibly even store if they are not pruning. Uh, but but somebody has to store; otherwise, nobody else can can download it anymore. And also, you have to to you cannot prune when you want to uh, to rescan and stuff like that. So uh, everybody will have to download, uh, validate, and possibly store your transaction that you are doing now. So this is bad enough for Bitcoin, but this is even worse for some kind of uh, on top layer uh, that is uh, let's say parasitical to to bitcoin in a way uh because basically you're competing uh with uh, uh, bitcoin users for this very scarce resource there was a fight between counterparty developers and some bitcoin developers because bitcoin developers wanted to restrict the use of operator because it, it was behaving like a tragedy of the commons because uh, People were exploiting it, but then the, um, the the counterparty developers were actually fighting to keep it or even increase it because they need more in order to do more stuff in a more flexible way. And this is ultimately, uh, regardless of who was right or not, this is a in- inherent uh, conflict in models like counterparty. You are using the global consensus, which is already uh, difficult to use for Bitcoin for some kind of on-top application. And you need to use that because all the information, all the logics, the transaction logic of counterparty needs to be stored some way. And since it's not a client-side validation model like RGB, since it's not sent from the sender to the receiver, it has to be stored in the global consensus. It has to basically live on top of the already existing problems of local consensus. But the scalability problem of counterparty are even worse than the ones of, of vanilla Bitcoin. Because, for example, with vanilla Bitcoin, you can do is not is not a good thing. It's not a great uh, uh, solution. It's a dangerous solution. But at least you can do what they what is called improperly SPV. So you can if you can assume that the miners are are enforcing Bitcoin rules, you can just check the presence of a transaction inside the Merkle tree of a block uh, instead of uh, uh, validating all the previous history. So you can do stuff like uh, hardware wallets easier. You can do basically lightweight nodes uh, with uh, this pseudo SPV uh, strategy. But with counterparty, you can't because uh, uh, you cannot assume that if a counterparty transaction was inside a block, then the miners uh, where uh, then the block was valid in counterparty terms. It was only valid in Bitcoin terms, but miners are not enforcing counterparty rules. So there is a huge problem because you cannot uh, uh, leverage this kind of not very good from the security point of view strategies like SPV. So the, the first point is scalability. Bitcoin scalability on chain is bad, but uh, counterparty scalability is even worse and problematic. Then there is privacy. As we know, Bitcoin's privacy and fungibility on chain are are pretty bad uh, if if you don't use the right tools, especially because there is this kind of global consensus. Everybody will download everybody else's transactions forever. So there is a problem of uh, everybody knows everything. If you think about counterparty, then you have the same problem plus 
an even smaller anonymity set because uh, uh, when you're using a special assets, uh, special issued assets, uh, special contracts, uh, then by definition, your anonymity set to hide uh, counterparty USD Tether, assuming they exist, they actually exist on Omnium, but which is basically the same thing. Uh, then you, you have to uh, you have to assume an even lower anonymity set with the same kind of fungibility problem and of uh, privacy problems. Uh, and the third problem was that in order to make this kind of smart contract stuff work, they needed to, to have a native asset. So Omni had this Omnicoin, the master coin that then became Omnicoin, and, and counterparty had a, a XCP. Uh, while Omni decided to go in the scammy direction of the ICO, so they did a Mastercoin ICO, they, they basically printed money, selling it to people. Uh, Counterparty decided not to do that. They did like a, 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 um, a temporary proof of burn window, which was, from the ethical point of view, uh, I, mean, I mean, I appreciated that. It was uh, it, remarkable uh, because they didn't make any money out of it. But... Ultimately, the incentives are screwed up anyway because this XCP basically will will go down into in existence, and as any altcoin eventually will, and so it it basically destroys the usability of this native coin because the native coin will eventually uh, be outcompeted by Bitcoin for monetary reasons. So the I would say the three uh, levels of superiority of uh, uh, of uh, RGB over counterparty, but it's pretty much the same with Omni. Is first better scalability because client side, while uh, while counterparty has worse scalability than Bitcoin itself, and better privacy while uh, than Bitcoin, while counterparty has a worse privacy than Bitcoin itself, and no scam coin needed because uh, you don't need to create an RGB coin in order to do stuff. So it's 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 better in these regards. So we can kind of skip over Omni there since you kind of covered it pretty well. Let's move on to something I think is a little bit more comparable, a little bit more modern, I guess we could call it Omnibolt. Um, I'll admit that I haven't done a super deep dive on it. Um, are you kind of knowledgeable of Omnibolt and how it works at the moment? A little bit because uh, the projects, some of the projects, I cannot go into details because some of these things are still stealth or whatever. But some of the projects that we're thinking about using RGB uh, are also thinking evaluating to use Omnibol. So in a way, they are like competitive designs. Uh, they can maybe they can coexist, but in the long term, it doesn't make sense if they solve the same problem. So even if it's not competition between companies, I don't make money if somebody uses RGB over Omnibolt. So I don't, it's not competition in that sense or the opposite, but it's like more an intellectual competition in a way. So uh, Omni itself, the old Omni, I would say it uh, compares to RGB in the same way of counterparty, just worse because the, uh, the, um, the coin instead of being a proof of burn, was actually a very scammy ICO. And that's why Omni started with another name and that there was a scandal and that they, they rebranded. At this point, people working on Omni right now, they are, I will not consider them associated in any, in any form to the initial scammy ICO. The reason people are working on Omni right now is basically uh, one of the few useful tokens in the history of tokens, which is USD dollar, USD Tether, was uh, issued on Omni. So that was the whole reason to keep that old protocol alive uh, is that counterparty was used by, for collectibles like rare papers and Omni was used for Tether. 
Now Tether gets used on basically everything. On, on Omnisteel, but also on Liquid, but also on shitcoins, but also everywhere. So the strategy of uh, Tether is just agnostic, uh, not because they don't appreciate Bitcoin's network effects or technical superiority, but because, because they reasonably don't care. They just need to, they just need to transfer a, a property title in a way that can be claimed to be decentralized and not dependent on, on the issuer itself for, for basically legal reasons and, and legal arbitrage reasons. So they have to claim that they are using open decentralized protocols instead of their own database. And they can use whatever, uh, like uh, Binance Chain, Dentacoin. I don't think they're using Dentacoin, but they could. They can use whatever. Uh, but um, they, they did decide to start with Omni at the beginning, uh, just because they wanted to stay more Bitcoin-centric. I don't know why they choose Omni over counterparty, but uh, I think that Omni survived so long because of that. So now people are working on Omni because they are working basically on Tether, which is the huge use case, and they are um, trying to put Lightning into that logic. So OmniBolt, which is a Omni plus Lightning, is way better than Omni because first uh, you you still have the scalability problem, but Lightning's but Lightning will move the scalability problem of chain at least once you open the channels. You still have the privacy pro- problem, but Lightning will move the privacy problem of chain at least once you open the channel, and so on and so on. And you still have the Omni scam coin, but it's so down that nobody actually cares anymore. Nobody knows it exists anymore. Nobody uses it. And it's not really necessary to use the Omnibolt features. So it could be a, a rebranding of Omni that could be of some interest. But I think compared to RGB, it will face the same technical challenges that I will talk about a little bit. The reason why RGB, the reason why I think RGB is not ready right now to be used by average users uh, is that the 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 on-chain part of RGB is pretty uh, is pretty definite uh, as a design and also pretty complete as an implementation. But the Lightning part, uh, let's say, it has to follow the development of Lightning itself. And Lightning itself is Lightning Network itself is in a very very early stage yet. So uh, there is no simple way to build something on top of Lightning, which is actually easy to do, easy to maintain, and doesn't require an independent, uh, uh, an independent Lightning implementation. Just to give you a, a, a very quick idea, in RGB, the first idea was to use C-Lightning and create um, a C-Lightning plugin to do RGB, and then to change a couple of, and change a rewrite uh, with the help of Christian Decker, a few demons of uh, C-Lightning. But that turned out to be too complex. And so that route was abandoned because C Lighting was also evolving a lot and changing a lot. Then we, uh, we switched on uh, the idea of using Rust Bitcoin uh, library for Lighting, which is Rust Lightning by Matt Corallo and others, which is now LDK. But even there, uh, the, the, the situation was that it was on one side not mature enough to, to stay stable and to be complete. And on the other side, not flexible enough to play with it in RGB ways. So eventually, the Maxim and the other guys in RGB, they recreated a new uh, implementation of Lightning, which, first of all, is not finished because uh, creating a new implementation from scratch is 
slow and, and, and expensive and, and in a way, let's say, wasteful. And also, even when it's finished, uh, the, the very challenging thing would be to keep it maintained, which would be super hard and, and uh, in a way also very difficult to do uh, socially and technically and whatever. So uh, uh, basically, uh, there was a new lighting implementation. And Omnibolt uh, has the same problem. Uh, you cannot just make an Omnibolt plugin for C Lightning easily. You cannot do the same with LND. Maybe they can cooperate later on to to have LND adopting stuff, but it's very difficult because LND itself is changing very very fast and adopting new feature every every month. And you have all this complication about. Uh, I mean, uh, people working with Lightning Network are great. I, I love them, but there is this kind of culture in which. You don't have yet a very good solution to the channel backups problem. And yet everybody's experimenting on uh, super lightning pools with uh, loops and swaps, which is cool. I mean, it's necessary because lighting is a huge experiment for the future of scalability and, and privacy in some ways. But still, there is no, from the implementation point of view, you don't even have, if you have a Raspberry Pi with Raspberry Blitz and uh, the backup, you have a good uh, internal backup solution. But if you have to manage manually backup of your lighting channels on a Raspberry Pi, th- that's, that's a nightmare right now. Or, or it's in the, other, in the other extreme, it's very centralized. So long story short, Omnibolt is the same old design of Omni and Counterparty. So you are... You are using global consensus to represent uh, new information that can be reinterpreted as a higher level logics on top of Bitcoin, which is a bad uh, design choice, in my opinion, compared to client-side validation. But it's mitigated by the fact that these uh, logics on top are only used to open uh, omnibol channels and to close omnibol channels, and most of the uh, actual transaction goes uh, on Lightning itself. But what Omnibolt had to do was to basically create a new, uh, non-compatible, uh, non-standard version of Lightning Network. The RGB Lightning Network implementation is unfinished and unstable, but kind of compatible. It could route Bitcoin. You can use it, in theory, if it works, to route Bitcoin uh, in the Lightning Network. Uh, while uh, this Omnibolt is a very uh, ad hoc solution, that will uh, use the Lightning logic to keep USDT on Omnibolt off-chain, which is good because on-chain Omni is not good, uh, but it's, it's not integrated with the existing Lightning Network. So the difference is Omnibolt can be probably used faster, developed faster, but then it will be difficult to maintain it long-term and to integrate it with uh, the wider Lightning Network ecosystem, while RGB is harder to create in the way we, we envisioned uh, on Lightning and until Lightning stops evolving so fast, but it could be more integrated in, in the long term. Also because, as I said, Omnibolt only uses Lightning concept on top of Omni in order to avoid writing on-chain, while uh, RGB uses Lightning in two different ways. One is creating asset-specific channel that can be used uh, to, uh, to move channel without writing on chain. But the other is moving around the, all the off-chain proofs that you need to do on-chain transaction on RGB. So when I give you an RGB asset on-chain, 
I still use the Lightning Network to send you the payload containing the proof. And I, I, in theory, I would like to use the Lightning Network solutions to the backup problem to backup my RGB data uh, as well, which is something that Omnibolt does not have. Let, let, me, let me finish with this comparison. Omnibolt is probably not better than Ethereum plus uh, Raiden. Assuming Raiden could go with uh, ERC20, which I think it can't. But let's let's say that Ethereum came up with some kind of Lightning Network version that can work with ERC20. That's basically Omnibolt. There is some kind of uh, more connection with Bitcoin because you are using Bitcoin op return, but there is not a huge advantage in using the op return that way. It just a, a very uh, uh, it just creates a conflicts over block space. Okay, so. It generally sounds like RGB might be the better long-term solution there. Could you give me like a, a quick elevator pitch for RGB, and then I'm going to kind of go into maybe the biggest weaknesses of RGB? Yeah, elevator pitch is client-side validation, which is what we just discussed, is cool, but uh, there are problems with it. And Lightning Networks already faces and uh, partially, hopefully, solves or will solve the same problems. So. RGB can parasite Lightning Network in order to make client-side validation uh, doable. And client-side validation is cool, is, uh, is faster, more scalable, more private, more whatever, assuming that you can make it work. So this is the, the base pitch. You can use it for assets when some kind of asset makes sense. This is something I'm not still very sure of. Or you can use it for Bitcoin itself in the future, maybe when we find a nice uh, two-way pack solution. And then what would you say are the biggest weaknesses of the RGB idea or anything related to it? So the bigger weaknesses are, one, use cases. The use cases for uh, Bitcoin, as I said, require this kind of weird two-way pack uh, scenarios. And the use cases for uh, tokens uh, requires the necessity for tokens, which I'm not that sure really exists or exists long-term at equilibrium. So probably RGB could be a beautiful solution to an uh, eventually non-existing problem, uh, which is a pretty huge weaknesses, weakness. And the second weakness is the reason RGB is cool is that it can leverage Lightning solutions to client-side validations problems but Lightning is still far away from really solving those stuff uh, at scale in a, in a sustainable way, in a stable way. So uh, I may say that RGB, I, I was probably over-optimistic of uh, uh, Lightning reaching a stable level before you can use it as an infrastructure to build stuff on top. It's still very, very hard. It doesn't mean it cannot be done. I mean, people did... Uh, people made stuff like beautiful stuff like uh, Sphinx Chat uh, or stuff like uh, WhatsApp or other stuff on Lightning. So it can be done, but it's really, really hard to do. And so, yeah, I, th I think these are the two things. Uh, RGB is super Lightning network dependent in order to be done in the way it wanted to be done. And the first one is RGB requires a use case for assets. I mean, if in a future where you don't have USDT anymore and uh, in which uh, CryptoKitties can be 
yeah, they can be exchanged on a decentralized network, but you, you can also exchange them on a centralized network. It doesn't really matter. So in, in that kind of scenario, there may be uh, a solution without a problem anymore uh, if you don't have any kind of legit asset to, to move around. Uh, there is a third weakness to RGB, which is not really a weakness, but it's a danger. Uh, RGB is pretty general. As I said at the beginning, when you understand the concept, you can use the concept of uh, of a single-use seal to not just prevent double spending, but also to uh, create this kind of state machine, uh, smart contract engine. I, I understand why people could get excited about that. And uh, that can be a very... Um, uh, let's, that, that can be like uh, addictive uh, tunnel uh, if you enter it because you will always uh, try to generalize. I mean, it's not a simple tool that can be used only in one way so you get uh, your job done quickly. It's something that can be explored to do. If you look at the RGB chat, there is people just asking when USDT, which is the in my opinion, is the uh, practical, pragmatic question to ask. But there's also people asking for crazy kind of smart contracts uh, on RGB, which is in theory possible, but uh, it opens up a, a Pandora's box of uh, cool, but very, very complex stuff. Bringing up Tether again, you know, people are saying that they're looking forward to that use case potentially. I'm struggling to give a shit, I think, on on my end, to be entirely honest. You know, Tether's been around for a while. It's probably one of the most liquid cryptocurrencies right now, just because so many people are using it across all the different uh, shitcoin chains. Like, I don't think um, Omni and Bitcoin is being used almost at all anymore. Let's say RGB ends up uh, coming out and does what it says so on the label, etc. And, you know, Tether comes to RGB, comes to... Bitcoin again, woohoo. Is anyone going to give a shit? Like, are we going to have to fight this battle of, okay, we got everyone on board of Lightning. Now to get everyone onboarded onto RGB, is that going to be a uh, worthwhile battle to fight just to get fucking Tether on Bitcoin again? Like, it just seems like I don't, <laughs> I don't care, man. I understand your point, and I'm not sure that the answer is yes in the typical crusade tone that I may use for other issues. So the reason for me Tether makes sense is that they can decouple a two function of a typical exchange. So the typical flow that I see as important right now is a flow from fiat to, to, to satoshis, from, from USD to sets. Uh, this is the flow I'm interested in. And in this flow, you have two functions. First, you have to move fiat to the exchange, and the exchange now owes you some fiat, and they can represent it digitally in the account of the exchange, the amount of, of fiat-based credit that you charged, that you filled the exchange account with, and that's the first function. And then there is the function of trading, where you actually you do like bid and ask, you have, the, you have supply and demand of, of, of sets priced in dollars, you have uh, uh, withdrawals of Bitcoin, deposits of Bitcoin, you have leverage maybe, you have this crazy stuff. So the typical centralized exchange like Bitfinex, since we are talking about Tether, they, they, uh, it does both the functions. You give fiat to Bitfinex with a wire transfer or whatever to a bank, and now they represent a, a fiat credit to you. And now you do trading, basically. You exchange, you exchange back, you move around, and you do, that, you do it in the same platform. While with Tether, 
the tether basically decouples this function and it keeps the first function. You give some wire transfer to, uh, to tether. You do KYC, AML, bullshit, everything you have to do because otherwise they will just come and take Tether down as a company So because it's centralized. So you do the KYC bullshit, but now you have the representation and all the trading and exchanging and whatever between this fiat credit and actual Bitcoins can happen in potentially elsewhere. You can do it inside Tether, but, you can, but it can happen as, elsewhere, even in Atomic Swap, even on Liquid, Atomic Swap, or tomorrow even on RGB, Atomic Swap, and et cetera, et cetera. This is potentially very cool, but right now the limitation is that in the typical standards that are used by Tether to do this, not, not for Tether's fault, but just because it's the only stuff they have, you have ERC-20, and previously you, have, you had Omni, now you have Omni and ERC-20, and, uh, and Tron and whatever. These infrastructures, they are super bad at fungibility, super, super bad. You can track down the creation of a Tether, USD Tether, and you can track down everything else. And you can blacklist stuff, and the regulator can ask uh, Tether to blacklist the Tether account, the Omni address of uh, Julian Assange or whatever. While in RGB, they couldn't because the, the idea of RGB is that you issue a USD tether on RGB. I give it to you. Now I don't know if you spend it or not or where it is, who has it, how many transactions on chain or off chain he went through. I don't know anything. And when somebody will give me that, tet- that USD tether back, I will know that this USD tether is giving me back is valid, is true, is not double spent, is not inflated. But I will not know his past history because what we do is we uh, we use a confidential transaction inside uh, confidential assets technology inside the the past history of the asset. So tether can be required to do KYC in the issuance because they have no other option that to uh, comply with this bullshit, and then. Everything can happen in the secondary market, and then somebody can come back to uh, to Tether to redeem the dollar, and Tether can ask this somebody to be KYC or AML bullshit compliant. But they cannot ask him, uh, they cannot blacklist him because somewhere in the process, Julian Assange participated to some kind of atomic swap. They don't know. They cannot even see it. So this is my opinion, an even more exciting reason to want to see Tether on RGB than just uh, uh, so it's on top of Bitcoin. Sure, uh, removing legitimacy from shitcoins is something that I would consider good because I, I consider shitcoins, as you know, as everybody knows, I consider them a distraction in the best case scenario and a, a danger to newcomers and a waste of uh, time, money and reputation, especially for newcomers uh, in, the, in the worst case scenario. Uh, but if the only thing that Tether on RGB did was just to remove a possible legitimacy for the shitcoins that uh, Tether, is, uh, Tether is using right now, yeah, cool, but nothing to be so excited about. But the idea that they can use it to, uh, to really decouple, really uh, disentangle uh, the issuance and redeeming part which will be heavily regulated because they have no other choice because it's a centralized part with the trading and transaction part that can be completely obfuscated by RGB, that would be really, really cool. Of course, uh, we discussed this stuff with 
dictator people many times. For them, is a very brave move to sponsor this technology and this idea, but it's also not it's not only a good for them, it's also a danger for them because if they tell to the regulator they cannot blacklist uh, Tether on RGB based on previous uh, owners, then the regulator can just tell them, one, don't use RGB, so uh, all the effort is wasted, or two, don't issue USDT anymore because now the market standard for tokens is RGB and you cannot blacklist, and so now you have to close down. So they are super... Uh, in a way, super brave to to go down this path because it's a path that gives the market more freedom. So it also gives Tether more liquidity in the secondary market, but also gives Tether, the Tether company a lot of of uh, uh, legal and compliance challenges more. So maybe ultimately it turns out that RGB, uh, either it's too difficult to make work properly, so they will not use it because they are pragmatic, then they will just use some something else instead that works now, today, or it works so well that they cannot use it for, for Tether. So uh, I, I don't, I will not push it. I, I'm, I'm super happy, uh, to, to, be super fr- to be super honest, the reason I would like to see it is, is that because we discussed that so much that after three years, not seeing USDT on, uh, on on RGB will feel like vaporware, that like we promoted vaporware. And in a way, I mean, we promoted a, an idea that uh, that it would be cool to see uh, in production. If it doesn't happen, I mean, that's fine. And that it, it's okay. So we're kind of reaching towards the end of our time here, but I wanted to try to make sure we got as much um, in about RGB as possible here. So I wanted to ask some lightning questions, um, but before we did that, was there anything on RGB that I missed? Um, it's like there's very detailed stuff here, but I just wanted to make sure if there was anything else that you just wanted to get out there for the listeners to know about. Uh, just one thing. I was the, one of the main designers of the idea and promoters of the idea a few years ago. Uh, right now, I'm not... Uh, a developer, I'm, well, in general, I'm not a, a good developer and not a developer. Everything that you can hear, which is cool about RGB, is not my merit, is not, uh, is not due to me. Uh, it's due to other people actually writing code, because I, I mostly don't. And uh, everything which is bad on RGB is my responsibility, because uh, I cooperate with the initial design. So there are two things. There is my idea, my obsession with client-side validation RGB, which I still kind of push as an intellectual challenge. And then there is the RGB repository operated by Maxim and other people. They may take completely different direction from what I'm, I'm discussing today. They are not responsible for whatever I can say now that they disagree with. So they're completely separated things that I don't want. This is not my project. It's not my startup. It's one of the several. Yeah, the, probably the last thing I want to say is RGB is not my main focus in the last years. It may seem so because it was one of the projects I tried to help that managed to have more exposition to the press, for example, because there were tokens involved. So people were like, oh, are you going to do tokens? So th- there was a lot of attention, but RGB was just one of the several open source standards that we tried to help. At the beginning, my effort was to try to help open ten stamps, then to try uh, to help uh, Peter Todd developing Proof Marshall. Then actually, uh, I gave a very, very little con- logistical contribution to the beginning of the Bolt uh, specification idea. And then after that, I gave a more substantial uh, contribution to the 
co-organization and fund distribution and fund uh, funneling of uh, BDK, uh, especially the fusion between, between Magical Bitcoin Library and BDK. So uh, what, I, what I'm doing on RGB, I'm doing on a few other Bitcoin open source projects. Uh, RGB got more publicity because it's asset related. But there are a lot of stuff like uh, the, the, there's the idea of Storm, which is basically uh, also developed by Maxim Orlowski, which is basically decentralized storage with uh, Lightning payment. There's the idea of Lightspeed, which is like a partially trusted Lightning on top of Lightning. So there is a lot of stuff that we try to help promote the sponsor or funnel money to together with uh, the usual partners like uh, Fulgur Ventures and which, or by the way, and Bitfinex, of course, Fulgur Ventures are also sponsoring very cool stuff about DLC that I'm also looking into. So there is a lot of stuff going around beyond RGB. I, I'm not the RGB guy. I'm not doing that as a job. So d- just to clarify this. Thank you. Well, so what have you been doing uh, more so if it's not uh, RGB? So my main job is to do consulting to, uh, let's say, fiat uh, clients, mostly in Switzerland, but also elsewhere in Eastern Europe, a little bit and elsewhere. And uh, these are basically banks or other kind of companies that want to sell Bitcoin to their clients or buy Bitcoin in behalf of their clients or store Bitcoin uh, in behalf of their clients and securely. So I I just do consulting, which is the, the base level. Uh, on top of that, since I was exposed to these clients, uh, for example, a Zurich client, they wanted to try RGB. So I said, uh, uh, let's not pay me as a consultant to do something which should be a noble standard. Let's uh, donate some of your money to this association that will sponsor RGB. And I did the same with Magical that then became BDK with CryptoSquare and, uh, and others uh, still under Alecos. Uh, Alecos Fidini's direction. And I did the same with Peter and Proof Marshall with a few of my clients donating to Proof Marshall for a few months to, to boost that. So what I do is I do consultancy and then I ask my clients to donate money for a few selected spectrum of uh, open source uh, Bitcoin related projects. I try to do something which is in a way similar to what uh, in a more structured way blockchain commons by Christopher Allen is, are doing or uh, other collectors of uh, good practices and standards are, are doing or donation managers like Brink or, uh, or, or whatever. When I did try to do something more structured, that was the idea of the BE Foundation, it didn't go so well with the community. So I stopped and now I do that on a very uh, personal and uh, uh, disorganized and, uh, and random base. Uh, I'm trying to stop doing consultancy and I try to move from consultancy to retail education. So not banks, but just people uh, doing courses and seminars and workshops. Uh, I'm still struggling with that because that means that I have to be in charge of organization of uh, staff and date and and I'm very uh, bad at that. So we will see. So it sounds like there might be a little bit of crossover between you and I there. I definitely consider the podcast to be an educational thing. Maybe not on the same level as a seminar. As we're closing up the podcast here, like I, we might not actually get to your general opinions on Lightning on this episode. I might just take it in a different direction and you know focus on what maybe the listeners could take away. Um, so 
in your opinion, uh, what do you think people could do to kind of explore RGB more? And we'll kind of take it from there. For RGB, just try to use it. Try to use it. Try to use it on chain, which at this point should be reasonably easy. You download a few, basically there is the RGB node that will work with command line and a few uh, manual stuff. So you have to build the transaction manually. So it's kind of difficult, but then it can also work with a few, like with a product by Pandora's uh, core company, which is called My Citadel, which is a wallet, which is also using RGB. And maybe in the future, other wallets will, will also expose this kind of uh, easy to use uh, interface to try to play with assets. Uh, I'm, I'm often talking with the guy of Excel wallet and also other wallets are interested in that. So uh, you, you just uh, try to use the RGB node, which is a little bit more complex, or try to use some of the wallets implementing RGB on chain, uh, which is easier. And then if you want to experiment with RGB on Lightning in a complete sense, RGB is always on Lightning, but if you want to go on Lightning channels, then you have to try to download it and make it work, but it's still work in progress after many years, and it's still very, very difficult to to have it working completely. So uh, maybe instead of just trying out, in that case, you should actually try to understand how to mm, complete it together with the current developers. Right. So if any developers are out there and you're feeling like you want to try to get RGB to completion, this might be a project to help out on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially last com- very quick comment. In order to make RGB work on Lightning, uh, the choice of Maxim was to create a new Lightning implementation from scratch. So this could be interesting in general for other kind of stuff, because if you... Uh, I mean, if you have another Lightning implementation and you want to try to implement the RGB concept on yours... Maybe let's try. If you want to try to complete the LDK implementation in order to get to a, a point where it can be used to actually create a Lightning Wallet in, in, the real, in real life in a reasonable amount of time, let's do that. If you want to put some new stuff on top of the uh, Lightning Network implementation used for RGB, which is completely independent and orthogonal to RGB, please feel free to do that because there is a new Lighting implementation to play with. So there is a lot of stuff you can do. Maybe my final call to action for our our listeners here, people wanting to get into Lightning, maybe not into RGB specifically, but maybe just Lightning in general, or maybe into Bitcoin in general. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on how they could step their foot in if they're, you know, totally green and totally new to this whole space? Well, I think the usual uh, progression would be first try. So you try to use just to understand. So you can try with semi, uh, semi-centralized solution like Phoenix, which are super simple, or uh, or you can use like Breeze or Moon, which are also a little bit centralized in some way, but very simple to use. And then you you evolve from that into not just trying, but also not just using, but also running. So you run a few nodes. You you try to set up your Lighting node, maybe with a guide initially with a Raspberry Raspi Bolt, or you just uh, try to recreate Raspberry Blitz or my node or Umbrella or whatever. And then you run the node and you run the channels and you try to see liquidity and, uh, and loop and, and stuff like that. And then after that, you try to understand before working on the protocol itself, the third step after using a running will be giving feedback. You understand what 
what what works and what doesn't work and especially you document and you explain to developers what doesn't work for you and how it doesn't work you send error messages you send the prs uh, you send support requests this can be seen as an hustle but is actually useful that this makes developer understand what doesn't work then as another part you can uh, which is something more difficult which is the fourth step you could try to doc not just to signal what it doesn't what doesn't work and to alert for for bugs or limitations but you can document what works so you can create your own guide or or meta guide selecting from various guides in order to use lightning you can create your blog post about lightning liquidity management you just leave information about what works and how it works and then the other step is you build but you build tools first you try to build maybe a new backup solution you try to to build a backup a new backup stuff uh, for for lighting a new interface uh, try to cooperate with tool builders more than protocol builders and then when you're confident because most of the things are mi- which are missing from lighting right now are not yeah there are a lot of stuff to do in the protocol like l2 and then using uh, elliptic curve points instead of hashes for uh, for the routing HTLC uh, part, there is a lot of cool stuff uh, uh, you, you can do there. But even without touching the protocol, uh, you can do better tools. And tools are still very early stage. And of course, you have like the heavy players like Lightning Labs and uh, Eclair and um, sorry, Async and uh, and Blockstream, and they are doing their stuff. And now LDK, but. Uh, uh, they all have some kind of priorities, product derived priorities, and maybe you have other priorities and other people have other priorities. So I will focus on the tools first. And then when you really feel you are uh, you are like a wizard, you, you start bothering uh, people trying to work on L2 and, and actual protocol uh, changes, uh, which are the hard stuff to do. So I, I, I love that answer. I thought of one more question here at the end. Would you say that you're more bullish on RGB or Lightning Network itself? Definitely Lightning Network itself so far. RGB is cool, especially because it represents this concept. I'm sorry if I'm repetitive, but this client-side validated concept is, is I think it's, it is what Bitcoin should have been if uh, it was realistically uh, doable back then to to manage all the complexity of of client side validation, but global global consensus is very very bad. It's very very limited. It's very very problematic. So RGB is a great idea. I I find it exciting to explore this client side validation world, but uh, Bitcoin can survive without it. While I think that Bitcoin it can survive without Lightning using trust based second layers like Alfine style. But it will be a very, at this point that we tried and we tasted what a trustless second layer will be, it will be a pity to have just the first layer and then to go in a trusted solutions, which are more fragile. So I think that Bitcoin really needs uh, lighting. Indeed, I always, I'm obsessed with this uh, uh, LMPBP definition of the stack. It's like with the internet protocol itself, you don't have enough to create uh, uh, direct connection. You need uh, at least TCP over IP. And then there is a lot of stuff over TCP like HTTP. And I think with Bitcoin is the same. Is the same. BP, so the Bitcoin protocol base layer, 
is cool. Is it, it gives the name to the entire protocol stack, but it's not sufficient per se if you don't create on top uh, the equivalent of TCP, which is LNP, the Lightning Network Protocol. And then on top of that, you can have several uh, added layers and uh, at increasing complexity and increasing abs- abstractions. But uh, I think that the LNPBP protocol stack needs at least the LNP part, the Lightning Network part. Got it. Well, I think that's the end of the podcast there. Uh, do you want to let people know how they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, they can find me on my website, which doesn't work at, at the moment since probably three weeks, uh, which is GiacomoZucco.com. Uh, I'm using BTC Pay server and I messed up with Let's Encrypt somehow. I still don't know how. So I will, I will try to fix it this weekend or the next weekend. I don't know when I have time. So if, if, if GiacomoZucco.com doesn't work, when this podcast comes out, uh, just find me on Twitter as always, because I will be there trolling and shitposting as always. Well, I, I really appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast, Giacomo. My pleasure. See you soon. See you next time. Boom. That was the 44th episode of the Latin Junkies podcast. I really hope you learned something from that particular episode. And on the topic of learning, uh, we here at Lightning Junkies are very interested to know what you might want to learn, what gets you excited in the world of Bitcoin and Bitcoin Lightning. We want to explore more of that. We want to create more content that might be up your alley. You can slide into our DMs on Twitter at LN Junkies. Let us know what you want to learn and what gets you excited. Don't forget, you can support the podcast on Breeze, on Sphinx Chat, at lightningjunkies.net forward slash support, as well as store.lightningjunkies.net. Okay, junkies, that's the end of the episode. What are you doing? Get out of here. I'll see you on the Lightning Network. <laughs>